welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 this morning, if you'd like to turn there. It's in the very, very back, very, very back of your Bible. And I've got a confession for you guys this week. There's, a, there's, there's been a rough week for me. There's, there's something wrong with me. No, no, don't say amen. I don't want to hear that. Like, oh, I know, like, don't be saying amen to that. There's something wrong with me specifically this week. I don't have an introduction to my sermon. Now, if you've been here more than three weeks, you know that every week we start off our sermon with like this, this story of a missionary or some kind of like a modern day parable that, that kind of connects to what is going to uh, be in our scripture. And usually that comes very easily to me. Like, usually I read the scripture. I'm like, what's the point? And like, boom, I know how to introduce that. This week, it's Friday. I've got my message completely done and the part that says introduction was empty. Now I know that means nothing to you, but that means something to me. And I was driving home and like I said, I'm not normal. And so I'm driving home in my truck. I'm like, I've got to figure out what to introduce the sermon with. I've got to figure it out. I'm going through like, do I introduce it as new? Do I introduce it as hope? What, like, how do I do this? And I could come up with nothing. And I was sitting there and it just suddenly hit me. It's like, sometimes you don't have to have an introduction. Sometimes maybe it's okay to start with a heart to heart. And so this morning, before we get into our message, I, I just want to say this, and something that's really been on my heart that maybe I have not shared with you. This, this series that we've been in is called The Dilemma, and it was meant to be a three-week series. We were supposed to do this like we were going we to talk about Jesus, we were going to get him uh, crucified, we were going to get him resurrected, and then that was Easter, and that was the end of it. And as I prayed about where to go after that, God's like, keep going. Like, what do you mean, keep going? That's the story. Jesus is back alive. Well, keep telling the story of Jesus all the way into Revelation. And if you know me, like I don't, I don't like Revelation. I don't like teaching it. It confuses me. It's very hard to understand. It's hard to teach, and I'm just not confident in that. So I'm like, are you sure? And God's like, well, I'm God, so yes. I was like, okay, so that's what we're going to do. And I've watched as this has unfolded, and as we have dug into the Scriptures together, what I have found in this is that every week, God is pursuing us with salvation. God is, is bringing this message again and again and again to us. We are now in week, I believe, nine of this series, where God is just bringing to the forefront of our minds every single week, you need Jesus Christ. You need to make the decision to follow him. And I just wanted to start today by, by saying this is I don't have an introduction today, but I have a purpose. I believe that God is reaching out to somebody here and has been for weeks. And, and today we're going to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope for the future. And if you're sitting here and you have not made that decision to have that hope, here's my heart to heart, no introduction. I hope today is that day for you. I hope today is the day that you come to know him, that you have the hope that I have. So let's dive in. So here we go in this series. For the last time, we're going to review the dilemma. All of human history is wrapped up in this story. Well, Adam and Eve are placed in a garden. Everything is perfect, and yet they chose to disobey God. We call that sin. The Bible teaches us very clearly that the consequences of sin is death, and so they bring death upon themselves and upon every human since then until Jesus comes to our rescue. 
Jesus comes here. He lives a perfect life and he takes my sin and your sin upon himself. And he dies on a cross to pay the price for what I have lived in my life. Uh, But death could not defeat him. Three days later, Jesus comes out of the grave. And we followed that through Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. And we got into what we call the end times, the book of Revelation. And what we found last week is Jesus, after a battle of defeating Satan, actually two battles of defeating Satan, Jesus rules on this earth for 1,000 years as the rightful king. And at the end of those 1,000 years, he takes Satan and death and shame and suffering and he casts them into a lake of fire. And what we're going to find out today is that this was God's whole purpose in this, his whole process, is God has been working and is working right now a plan to undo the sin that you and I brought into this world. Not just to get us to heaven, but to completely recreate a world without sin the way that he designed it at the beginning. If you've got your Bibles, Revelation 21, this is after God has thrown sin and death into the lake of fire. This is John speaking, telling us what God revealed to him. Listen to this, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. So let's set up where we're at here. In this, in this part of the Bible, in this part of the story, in this part of human history, Satan is gone. There is no more sin. Uh, There is no more death. We are now entering a time period that we would call, or I would call, eternity. Now, when we think of eternity, we try to use eternity like as a a measurement of time. Like we think of eternity as years just going and adding. It's kind of like the the time version of infinity. You guys know infinity. It's when you just keep counting and and you never stop. And we think of eternity as as a measurement of time, or maybe a lack of time, some people would even say. But I, I think there's a bit of a mix. I think you could also look at an eternity as not necessarily just time being counted or not counted. I think you can look at eternity as almost, almost like a place. Like, like this is, this is a, a mixture of a time and a place. I would call it a state that we are going to dwell in, being eternal beings. And that's really hard for me to describe or even for us to understand because we live in a world where everything ends, right? Like today at right around 1245, church will end and I'll let you go. And I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Some of you were getting mad. Like right around 12 o'clock, church will end and you'll go home. We woke up this morning at Sunday, but Sunday will come to an end. There was a storm last night for like two hours and it nearly floated my house, but but it, it came to an end. Even in our lives, like I was born, but everybody has this knowledge that one day my life will come to an end. And so in our world, everything begins and ends. But to understand eternity, to understand a time period or a state that never begins and it never ends is really hard for us to understand. But here's what I can tell you about this. And this is all you need to know. That we are going to live with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And just when we think it's done, we haven't even got an instance into it. 
Like we're gonna be with him forever. There will be no death. There will be no suffering. There will be no changing ever and ever and ever with God. And God reveals in these passages to us his plan for eternity. If you'll notice in Revelation 21 verses one through five, it is dominated by the word new. Listen to verse five again. In verse five, God here says, sitting on the throne, he says, behold, I make all things new. Now, I think we've got a problem with how you read that because what, what I think you read there, because the way we read text is non-emotional, I think what you read is, behold, I make all things new. I don't think that's the way the God of the universe sits on his throne and speaks it. I think we, we read into this a stoic monotone like I'm making all things new when in fact this is a moment of excitement. He starts off with the word behold. Do you know what behold means? We don't use it very much. It, it means look. Like, like when we tell somebody like look, a deer. I don't know what we look at. Like, like look. And what God's saying, he's, he's saying to John, he said, look, look at what I've done. I have made all things new. Everything in the world is new. And you see this, this excitement from God. And, and, and in my opinion, new is better. And some of you guys are like, I don't like new. I like, I like my old truck. I like my old house. I like my old friends. That's me. I don't, I don't make new friends very much. I love y'all, but I like my old friends. I, I like all of my old stuff. New means change. Change can be scary. But when new comes around, it depends on who created the new. And in this, when God says, he doesn't say, look, there are new things happening. This is part of the plan. Somebody created new things. Brian certainly didn't do anything new. What does God say? He says, I have started a new thing. I make all things new. And because our God is perfect, whatever he creates and whatever he makes new is also perfect. That is why we remind ourselves at the beginning of every service, when I say God is good, uh-huh, some of y'all sleeping in the sermon, and I'm watching y'all. You know what happened uh, one time, a, a guy was sleeping when Paul was preaching, and he fell out of a window and died, just saying, you better stay awake, okay? So, God is good all the time, and all the time, we remind ourselves of that, because it is true. It means that whatever God does in my life, or your life, or in the life of this church, it is a good thing. And so, when God says, behold, I am making all things new, it is a good thing. Our first take-home truth, if you've got your outline with you, is all things eternity will be new. And so if you read that scripture again, you see a list of news, not news like you watch on the TV, new plural S, news in here that God is talking about. First off, he says that, or John says that he saw a new heaven. And when we read that, when we think of heaven, we automatically think of the particular heaven, the spiritual dwelling place that you and I go to. That's what we think of. But in the scripture, heaven can be used one of three ways or to describe one of three things. One of them is obviously what we think of when we think of heaven. We obviously think of like, when I die, I get to go to heaven. That is the dwelling place for my soul and my spirit. But heaven is also used in the scripture to describe what we would call space the moon and the stars and the planets and everything that shines. It's also used to describe the atmosphere of earth. When you look up on a sunny, pretty day and, and, and it's blue outside, that's what heaven is used to describe sometimes. So when we look at this, I think a lot of times we have read this and we have read God is gonna make a new heaven. I don't know if that's necessarily true because it is coupled with this, a new heaven and a new earth which seems to me like God is replacing the created things of this broken world. When speaking of a new earth, there's some questions. Will the earth actually be recreated? 
Will it be brand new? Is the Bible speaking figuratively like it'll be like new, like a refurbished earth or something like that? I'm not really sure, but here's what I do know. The Bible says this, that this new earth, this new earth will have no sea. And it makes sense to me that if we live on an earth that is covered by two-thirds water, and then the Bible says, I have made a new earth, and this new earth has no sea, it seems to me like God may have created something completely from scratch, completely new, as he did in Genesis, with only a word. Now, this brings a question, because if there's something new, it generally means that there was something old, like, if we get a new Sunday school teacher, that means that the old Sunday school teacher went some way. If you go get a new car, it means that you probably got rid of your old car. If you buy a new house, it means that you probably sold your old house. So, when the Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, it have to ask, what happened to the old earth? And I love the way the scripture puts this. The scripture says, the old earth has passed away. I really studied on that verbiage this week. Like we all kind of know that verbiage for like when somebody dies, we say, oh, you know, so-and-so has passed. So they've passed away, they're gone. We know it means perish, but when you really look at the verbiage of this and how it lays out specifically in English, I love this. It's, it's like a moment of passing. Like have you ever stood on the side of the road and watched cars? Just me? That's my hobby? Okay, never mind. Okay, so just imagine you were standing on the side of a road and you were watching cars. Like, like there's this moment where a car comes into the distance and you can see it. And then there's a period of time as it drives in front of you and passes, and then it passes away from you. And I love what the scripture is telling us here about our earth. Everything that you and I can see, everything that we can feel, everything that we can touch, all the smells that we had, this building, everything we see, it's in a process of coming and eventually going. And it would be good for us to remember that when we get so tied up in the things that are so important to us of this earth, that, that this is just a momentary moment in like eternity in history that is eventually going to pass us by and pass us. And that's a good thing. Because while there are beautiful things on this earth, I love seeing mountains. I love going to the beach. And if you're going in time the next week, I can go with you if you just invite me. Um, like, I love those things. But listen, they're all going away. And that's a good thing because along with this earth and the beautiful things that God put here when he created it originally, we've messed it up. And I'm not getting like scientific, I'm not smart enough for that, but we've messed it up. Uh, we've had wars and nuclear explosions and fights and hatred. This place is dug full of graves of people who were meant to live forever, but their sin cost them their lives and now they are dead. This earth has been marred with our sin and listen, God's going to get rid of it. And the Bible gives us a comparison of what it's going to be like. Like, we all know what the current earth is like, right? It's not always a lot of fun. I mean, in the current earth, there's lots of fighting. And in the current earth, there's loneliness and anger. In the current earth, there's loss and selfishness. Like, all of these effects of sin. But in verse 4, God describes what it's going to be like on this new earth that he's going to create. This new place where we're going to get to dwell. And I love this as it goes down through here. Read verse 4 with me again. This is what we get to look forward to on a new earth. This is where my hope lies. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, nor shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I love this. In a world where sin is gone, God tells us what it's going to be like. And the first thing he says is, is God will wipe away tears. I really thought about that this week. I'm a crier. I don't know if you guys know that. 
Maybe some of y'all are. Maybe some of you are too manly to cry. But we cry in moments of intense passion. Maybe sometimes tears of happiness, but mostly tears of pain and tears of sorrow and tears of hurt. And I think when we read this, what we hear is like, oh, one day we're not going to have to cry anymore. But that's not what it says. God doesn't say, just no more tears. God says, he will wipe away tears. I love this tender, personal moment of comfort that God is offering us in this new world. Not only will there be no new hurt and no new sadness, listen, God will remove the hurt that we feel now. The times that we've been lied to or neglected, God will remove. God will remove the brokenness that we feel from relationships that that were not carried out the way that God wanted them to. The mom who didn't love us, the dad who abandoned us, the the marriage that failed, the scars we carry with us, God's going to wipe it away. The heaviness of our own failures as we look back and we see what we've done that has caused us pain or hurt others. God says, I I, I will wipe that away. It's all going away. And maybe the most important part of that is not just that it's going away, is that God himself says, that's my job. On this new earth, I'm personally seeing to it that your pain and your hurt and your loneliness and your fear and all the times that you were misused, it's all going away. I'm taking care of it. This new world will have no more death. And that makes sense to us in a world where sin and death has been cast into the lake of fire. Like there should be no more death because death is a side effect of sin. In a new world, there will be no sin. So, so death will absolutely go away. But I, I love when you think about the theology of death. What have we said this whole series? What is death? Death is just separation. Separation of my soul from my body. My soul will never be separated from my body again. But more importantly than that even, death is separation of myself from my God. And when God says there will be no more death in heaven, what he's saying is there's no more separation between me and my people. We, we will get to be here in this place with God. Like not, not like he's over there and he's too high and mighty, not like he lives in the White House and we know where it's at. Like, like it's gonna be like a daily thing. The God who created the, heaven, uh, the heavens and the universe twice now, we're gonna have access to him. We can walk right up to his throne. We will see him daily. We will no longer be separated from him as we are now. And maybe my favorite is no more sorrow. I love that comment or that promise, no more sorrow. See, sorrow has an opposite. The opposite of sorrow is joy. And joy and sorrow are like, sort of say day and night, light and darkness, Like where one exists, the other can't. Like if you have light, it's because you have an absence of darkness. If you have darkness, it's because there's an absence of light. And it's the same thing with joy and sorrow. If you have joy, it's an absence of sorrow. And if you have an absence of sorrow, what will we live in completely? We will live in joy all of the time. What's the happiest you've ever been? Wedding day, the day your child was born, the day we hired Sam Pittman for the Razorbacks. Like what's the happiest day for you? It's going to be like that every day when we're with God. This is, this is his promise to us. It's given, it's given to you and me. One day, I am creating this world where there will be no sorrow. You will never wake up in the fog of depression again. Never will you wake up and go, I just can't do it today. In this, in this world, we will, we will never have to relive the moments that hurt us the most of our life. We will never experience that again. It's like every day is a perfect spring day. 
You guys know what the perfect spring day is, right? It's like early spring. It's kind of warm, but it's still kind of crisp. The breeze is blowing. The birds are chirping. Flowers are out, and everything's green. And it doesn't matter what's going on. You can't just you can't help but just feel a little bit better. That's what every single day is going to be like when we get here. Complete happiness. And all of this is made new and prepared for a reason. Read with me again in verse 2 what John sees coming because this is the purpose of having a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So God promises here that this new earth is being created because it will be worthy of a holy city. This holy city in Revelation is called New Jerusalem. And that makes a lot of sense because Jerusalem throughout most of the time period of history, of of human history, has been the center of the world. We might not have always known it, but it has been the center of the world. This is where they built the temple. And in this temple, God the Father literally dwelt in this temple among his people. It's where he stayed at. He, He picked a place to be with his people and it was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where both Christ was, was um, crucified and resurrected. This is a place that Jesus will sit on a throne during his thousand year reign. But the old Jerusalem is part of the earth that will pass away, that will be gone one day. And so the Bible promises us a new Jerusalem. Our next take home truth is this. The holy city will be a new place of power in the new earth. Now, we talked about new a second ago, and we think of new usually as newly created, but it can be newly introduced. I love the difference in how John sees a new heaven and a new earth. For, for John, he sees a new heaven and a new earth, and it's almost like it just, it just appeared in front of him. I looked, and there it was. It, it kind of it has an echo of Genesis 2 where God just speaks things into creation, and they just, they just exist suddenly, but not New Jerusalem. Not the holy city. It doesn't just appear somewhere. What does he say? He says, I see it descending from the clouds out of, out of the heavens. So what we see here is not a story of creation, but a story of arrival. And if you're wondering what that new Jerusalem is, most scholars, although it doesn't say this, most scholars believe that this is what we would call heaven. The place that exists now and it is waiting to come down. And we know that because it describes this as a place that is shining. It's decorated with jade and pearly gates and precious stones and pure gold. All of this is in the next part of 21. And it even tells us how big it is. even tells us how big it is. It said it's 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles deep, and 1,400 miles tall. And the city comes out of the sky and plants itself on the new heaven and the new earth. I don't know how big that is, but it's big. I read one scholar this week and he did some math and I don't know if his math is true. He took the people that he thought existed in the world and he took a percentage of them he felt like were Christians and he came up with this number and I don't even remember what it was of people that he believed were saved, Christians that would be here. And he then divided it out by the survey. He did the math. Here's what he said. He said, that's 75 acres for all of us if we put it in modern worldly terms. That's how big this place is for every Christian that ever lived. It's not like we're going to be cramped in in our little dorm rooms in heaven. There's going to be plenty of room for us. And this is, this is what we're promised. This is the hope that we have for the future. But the most important thing about this city, about New Jerusalem, about the holy city appearing from above and coming down through the clouds is not what it looks like or even how big it is, although it's important because God told us about it. The most important thing 
is that this is God's dwelling place. If you continue to read through the scripture, it promises us that this new Jerusalem has no temple. It, it has no place of worship. And it seems weird God is doing this thing where like, hey, this is all about glorifying God. And then God's like, yeah, but I don't actually need like a church or a temple that's not needed. You know why? Because the whole place is God's temple. See, we don't have to have a place that has a center of worship where we worship God. It is God at the center who is worshiped in this new city. And his glory is on full display throughout the whole place. Here's what the Bible tells us about this city. There's no sun and there's no moon. You know why? We don't need it. Because God shines so brightly that the city is illuminated. It is covered in his glory. We get to experience that. We get to see his glory so brightly that we don't even need a sun or a candle or a flashlight. None of those things. And suddenly everything is as it should be. God is on his throne. There is no sin. There is no death. And he is worshiped by all. If you'll continue reading with me, the Bible goes on. I'm, I'm doing choice scriptures today, but if you'll turn over to chapter 22, we're going to read once again verses 1 through 5. It continues to describe what John is seeing in the future as the city comes down. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, uh, was there the tree of life which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads and there shall be no night there and, and they need no candle neither light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. John goes on, he says, it's not enough to just see this brilliant city. He said, I got to go into the city and let me tell you what's in the city. He says, in the center of the city, there is a throne, the throne of God. You guys know what a throne is, right? It's a fancy chair that you sit on when you're worthy to rule. And here is God sitting here, worthy to rule, sitting on his throne. But here's what I love about it. It says, out of this throne, coming from this throne is a river, it doesn't say a trickle. It doesn't say a water faucet. This river, think of this big, rushing, powerful river, pure as crystal, coming from the throne of God. Now, the reason that's important and the reason that it's important is that it's a river is that there is a picture here of how God, how God loves us. In the Bible, when you see water, when you see rivers or creeks, when you see something flowing out of something, it is always a symbol of provision. And in this new kingdom, what John says, he goes out of his way to tell us, it's like, look, there's the symbol of provision. And where's it flowing from? From the throne of God. Every need you will ever need is going to be provided by God when we are here. You will never have to plant your corn early in the spring. You will never have to go to work. Some of you have already retired and you get to not go to work as it is. You will never have to want for anything because everything you could possibly want and possibly need is provided by God. And it's not something that's just small. It's this river, this powerful force of provision in our lives. And on either side of the river, John says, I see something called the tree of life. A tree of life does not just appear in Revelation. It's mentioned before in the Bible. 
If you go back once again to Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 3, God creates all of everything we see. He creates the heavens and he creates the earth. He creates man, he creates animals. He creates everything. And he takes Adam and Eve and he places them in what we call the Garden of Eden. And he gives them one rule. He said, of every tree that you can see in here, you can eat of all of them except for one. That tree was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the Bible goes out of its way in Genesis 2 to tell us, but there was another tree in the garden. It's called the tree of life. And when God says you can eat of everything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that means that you can also eat of the tree of life. And here's what's interesting about the tree of life. When Adam and Eve sin, when they are facing God and God says, okay, we got to figure out what to do now, God casts Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden and he seals it up and he has a garden, uh, an angel guard it. Do you know why? He said they cannot be here because if they are here, they will eat of the tree of life and they will live forever. So even in a fallen state, this tree of life is a sustenance that keeps people alive forever. And God took it away from the world because of our sin. But we see here in Revelation chapter 20, uh, 22, God has bringing it back to us. This thing that he provided for Adam and Eve where they would never face death, God brings it back again and says, you will never face death. And what I see in this, and I love this, I've never studied this this way, I see our Bible going in a circle. Like we tend to look at the Bible like it's a timeline, like from here to here. But suddenly if you take that Bible, those, those ends start to meet. The first few chapters of Genesis and the last few chapters of Revelation. Listen to this, let me explain to you what I mean. If you compare Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 to Revelation 21 and 22, here's what you will find. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is a new earth undefiled. There's no sin and no death. In Revelation 21 and 22, there's a new earth undefiled with no sin and no death. In Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve live is situated between two rivers, the signs of God's provision for them. In Revelation 21 and 22, there's a river of provision that flows from the throne. In Genesis 1 and 2, there's a tree of life available to men, meaning we must never die. In Revelation 21 and 22, there's a tree of life available to men, meaning we must never die. In Genesis, 20, or in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve have direct access to God. In Revelation 21 and 22, we have direct access to God. Our next take-home truth is God is returning us to his original plan for us. Listen, the entire point of Revelation, you can get caught up in all the symbology. You can figure it out. You can try to wonder what the cryptic message is. You can study it all of your life. Don't overlook the ultimate purpose of Revelation. God is once and for all undoing sin and creating the world he once created with no sin and no problem. And we maybe get to be a part of that. But as I look at Revelation chapter 21, I have, to, I have to compare myself to that and I have to compare us to that. And, and it seems like there's something that doesn't fit here. Like if you look at Genesis 21 and 22, everything is new or it was never defiled. But you don't see a single thing in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 that is broken, that has some scent of sin on it at all. None of those things are there. And then I look in the mirror and I say, oh, I don't fit in here. Like, I'm broken. I have the scent of sin on me this morning. Like, out of everything in this place, I don't fit in. You and I don't fit in. We are dirty and we are broken and we don't belong. Listen to what the Bible says here in chapter 21, verse 8. Speaking of this, 
Speaking of the new city, it says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Again, in chapter 22. If you go to verse 14, it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right of the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. For without, that, that means outside. For outside are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters. And so whosoever loveth and makes a lie. You see, what the, what the Bible tells us here is that in this city, there, there's no sin, therefore... There can't be any sinners. And what that tells me from the scripture is I'm not invited. And you're not invited. Because we've lived our entire lives and our entire lives outside of the original intent of what God has created this world for. We don't get to go. Unless... We don't get to go unless. Unless God can do with me and you what he did with the earth. If he can take the old broken and get rid of it and make something new out of me. What, what, if, God, what if God could do that? What if God could do something in us where we would fit in? What if we didn't have to be old and broken and dirty and sin-filled? What if God could do something in me that he could make me new and I could fit in and I could be a kingdom of this citizen? What if, what if that would work? Listen to these words. And I want to see if anything here sounds familiar. This is from 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new does that sound familiar does that sound like god is doing something there that connects on to revelation chapter 21 when he says the old earth and the old heaven they pass away because he's going to create something new and he says behold i am doing a new thing i'm creating all things new here in this it says that we can be new creatures and our old things will be passed away and god says look all things are becoming new and so the bible lays out for us this opportunity to be part of this kingdom this opportunity to fit in with all of the new things god is doing this opportunity for what we call salvation because only 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 in christ can we be made new that is the only way i love you i'm so glad you're here you're not made new by being here i'm not that good you're not made new by owning a bible you're not made new because your parents went to church you are not made new because you were baptized you're not made new because somebody had you raise a hand during a service. You are not made new for any of those reasons. The only thing that can make you new is Jesus Christ and being in him. And what the Bible is teaching us here is that salvation, listen, salvation is a moment of preparation for us where God is preparing us to be new, to fit into his new city and to fit into eternity. And so if you want to be in this city, you must be made new. And if you want to be made new, you must be in Christ. And if you want to be in Christ, you must put your faith in Christ. Our next take home truth is this, is to enter the new earth, we must be made new by Jesus. Don't leave that last part off, by Jesus. See, Jesus is the center of the story here. 
Jesus never needed to be made new. Jesus was never imperfect. He was never broken. He was never tainted by sin. Jesus was always perfect. And he looked at us and he said, those, those broken people, if only there was a way I could be made new. And this is in the wisdom of God. I don't even know why. In the wisdom of God, this is what God offers, uh, offers to you and me. He says, what I will do is I will allow my son Jesus to die on a cross and shed his blood for you so that you can have salvation. You know what salvation means if you break it down? Salvation means that the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his newness is taken from him and given to me. I get to walk into this city with the righteousness and the newness of Jesus Christ on me. That's the only way you and I could be made new. That's the only way old things in my life could pass away. I will often envision it. I know this is not the biblical way to do it. I often envision it as this, as I'm dirty and I'm nasty and I need, I need some deodorant. Like it's been work day at church and all of this is just who I am all of the time. And, and here's Jesus and he's got this, this big robe and it's white and it's clean. And I'm like, man, I'm kind of stinky, kind of dirty, kind of broken. And Jesus starts just, okay. He takes that robe and he just wraps it around me. And listen to me carefully. This is the hope that I want us to have. Back up. This is the hope that God wants us all to have is only through Jesus Christ can we have a hope of coming to this city, being a new creature, having been made new by Jesus Christ. And so today, as I told you at the beginning, I don't have an introduction, but I have a purpose, Liv. Here's my purpose. The only way we can be found in Christ, the only way, the only way we get to this city, the only way we experience eternity with God is by putting our faith in Christ. And we say that a lot, like, what does that mean to put our faith in Christ? Isn't it enough? I'm trying to clean up my act. No, no, no. What putting our faith in Christ means is when I go to God and I say, look, I know, I know I'm part of those old things that are going to pass away. I know that I've lived such a dirty life that I need you to clean me. But God, if you would, would you make me a new creature by putting your righteousness on me? That's what it means to have faith. It's saying, I can't do it myself. God, I need you to make me new. And this is our reflection time. I hope today's the day that somebody, somebody comes to God and says, God, it's, it's time for you to make me new because I can't do it myself. And if we want eternity with God, what he promises and what he gives us and the hope that we have, you have to make that step and you have to make it today. So if you would, this is our reflection time. What's God saying to you? I would love to pray with you. I would love to explain personally, more deeper to you, what it means to put your faith in Christ. But don't walk out of here for the last time after God has pursued you for weeks with the message of salvation saying, no, not today. I'm not doing it again. Be made new today. Please stand.